You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Turn in your Bibles, or I actually have in your sermon notes today, in your worship guide, Matthew chapter number 2. So we've got all that information for you right there. And we want to encourage you to kind of walk through that passage with us in just a moment. And let's dive into the scriptures today and see what God has for us. We've been in a sermon series. And uh, that series now is in its third week. We are talking about Jesus, only Jesus, right? God's greatest gift. Uh, The first week, we were introduced to someone in the Christmas story by the name of Simeon. And from Simeon, we learned something. We learned to wait, to wait, and most importantly, to wait for Jesus. And if you today are a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that we are waiting for his soon return. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But until then, we wait and we know the promise will will come. And so we're excited about that. And we learn how to wait from Simeon. And then we learn from the shepherds, we learn that Jesus is the answer. And we are determined afresh and anew to find him. Thank God he found us first, right? And when he found us, we found him. And then we spend the rest of our lives as believers pursuing Christ and finding greater treasures. And uh, we do that through his word. We, we do that through coming to, to services here, going to small group. We continue to pursue Christ, become more like him. And the shepherds, they found that out as well. We learned that from them. Today, let me introduce to you our guest for this morning. And they are the wise men. The wise men. And our focus this morning is learning from these wise men how to overcome very significant barriers in getting to Christ. Because as you know, as I know, and you'll understand as we progress through this message, that there are barriers that we need to overcome if we are really going to get to know Jesus Christ. There's barriers that we have to overcome. Just kind of how it works in life. In fact, if you're going to achieve anything in life, uh, just in, not, not even spiritually speaking, but in a sense everything has a spiritual uh, message to it. We could turn anything into a lesson uh, from the Lord. But, you know, there's going to be barriers that you have to overcome to be successful. Sometimes it's hard to understand why things are happening the way they are. But those sometimes are just ways that we can find, uh, by following Christ, ways to overcome those barriers. Let me give you an illustration. I got some of my boys in the back there from Champion Christian College basketball team. Braylon is back there. Molly, my man Molly, is back there. Mo, Coach Mo's back there. I think Ezekiel was maybe, he's in the sound booth. Any other players here? Just those three? I'm proud of you guys. Let me tell you a story about the Champion Christian College Tigers this weekend. Real quick, just an illustration about overcoming barriers, okay? So these guys had to play two Division I schools. A Division I school has 13 scholarship athletes. Sounds pretty, pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, that's guys that you're going out and you're saying, hey, come to our school, we'll take care of everything. Guess how many scholarship athletes Champion Christian College has? None. Honey, you did good. She knows very little about sports, but she knows that. We have zero scholarship athletes. So you, you, you play these Division I schools. In fact, one of the Division I schools we played actually got beat by another Division I school uh, by like 60 or 70 points last week. I mean, these are big schools, and the bigger in attendance, the larger sometimes, uh, I mean, the better the basketball teams are. 
Um, these were some really big guys, some really big schools. We go to these schools and play. They, they're guaranteed games, so they give you a little money to play. But the thing you want to do is you, you want to find a way to overcome the barrier of losing. Because pretty much the idea is you're not necessarily going in there with a goal to come out with a W as the only way to look at this as a, as a, as a good trip, right? So I traveled with the team this week. I'm the CDL driver. I drive the bus. I love it. I love to find ways to serve here. So I'm driving the bus, get to the games, and I watch these guys play their hearts out. I watch them display a good Christian testimony. Uh, Both games we lost, and if I told you we lost by 30, you might think, oh, man, that's a big loss. But honestly, Daniel would know this. That's that's not that bad against a Division I school. Daniel refs a lot of those Division I games. You know that. So I was very pleased. But you know what? Really... When I understood the barriers these guys had to overcome mentally is when the coaches came up to our coach and said, wow, man, you guys work hard. You played with a lot of integrity, and we want you to come back. We, we were blessed to play champion Christian college. Can I tell you something? That's a win. That's a win. And when you overcome as, a, as an 18, 19, 20-year-old young man, that my goal here is to overcome the thought that Man, these guys are bigger, and they are, to an extent, better, but yet we can still find a way to win. It's just not the way that you might think we win. I hope that makes sense. And I'm trying to say that anything you do in life sometimes will require you to overcome the barrier, whatever that barrier is. So what I want to do this morning is I want to go to Matthew chapter 2, and I want to identify three barriers these wise men had to overcome in their pursuit to get to Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Let's jump in. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men. Now, you know, sometimes we are familiar with wise men because of an old song that was written that we sing as a, in our hymnal sometimes. We don't have a hymnal, and we wouldn't sing this song if we had a hymnal. We three kings of Orient are, right? You ever heard that song? It's a nice traditional Christmas song. It is absolutely wrong. First of all, there weren't three. Uh, There were three gifts, but it doesn't say there were three wise men. There were probably many more than that. Secondly, they weren't kings. In in fact, I I don't know where that came from. These men were far from being kings. In fact, if anything, they would have been more like uh, what you read or what you may read in the book of Daniel, these uh, astronomers and astrologers and religious of some sort, but more or less intellects, men who were studying astronomy. These were wise men, and it says they were uh, of the Orient. Well, first of all, just so you know, they weren't from China, okay? These guys may have been from Persia which would be uh, modern-day Iran or maybe Babylon, which is modern-day Turkey, one of those kind of uh, areas. But again, that song, I don't know where they got the context of of those three things, but we we can be confused as to what kind of uh, part did these wise men play in the Christmas story. So let's, let's learn it from the Scripture, not from a song, is what I'm trying to say. They came from the east to Jerusalem, and they said this, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. 
And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. We heard that scripture read last week in the little video that we watched together as a church family. This was an Old Testament prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, right. I don't think so. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That's the text. Now let's look at the barriers. First of all, I want you to see there is a barrier here that they had to overcome. And it was a cultural barrier. The first barrier that we need to learn to overcome in getting to Jesus Christ could very, very well be this one. A cultural barrier. Notice it says in verse number 2, they saw a star. This is how they made it to Jerusalem. They made the journey by looking at that star. It was prophesied in Numbers thousands of years before the birth of Christ. In Numbers chapter 24, in verse number 7, Scripture says, I see him but not now. I behold him but not near. A star, here it is, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. How easy would it have been for these wise men to have said, well, Jesus must just be for the Jewish people, not for us. I mean, first of all, it was 900 miles away. It it must have been or could have been 9,000 miles away. Because 900 miles away, back then, could have taken up to a year to get there. You can imagine. I mean, that was a long journey. This was no small thing that these wise men did. And maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you are wondering, is Jesus really for me? And I say that only because oftentimes, in a service like this, I want you to know that I have great conversations Sometimes in our coffee shop, other times in my office and other places with people who attend our services. And I love those conversations. And usually they are people who are searching for something. Something's missing. Maybe that's you this morning. Something's missing in your life. You're looking for Jesus. You're searching for Jesus. I want you to know in advance, I've got time to sit down and talk like I did last week to a young man for a couple of hours, just sharing the gospel, talking about the message, talking about uh, his journey to finding Jesus And maybe you're here this morning and this whole Christmas thing just seems so far off, so crazy. Maybe you're not connecting with it. I want you to know if you're ever going to find Christ, you're going to have to overcome some cultural barriers to get to Jesus. Too many look at Jesus as an option on a vehicle. 
Kind of like going to, you know, purchase a car and they kind of come out and say, what do you want? Do you want this? And do you want these electric windows? Do you, do you want, you know, a, a sunroof? And you kind of look at your options and you, you know, I, I could, I could, that's an essential. That's not an essential. And that's kind of how sometimes we view Jesus. He's just an option. You know, I was, years ago, I was uh, someone who followed the career of the great boxing legend, uh, Muhammad Ali. And as a young kid, I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, big sports guy, and used to watch his fights, you know. And he was just an amazing boxer. Later on in life, after I received Christ as my Savior, I was called to preach, and I began to learn some other things about Muhammad Ali. And I kept a file of some of those things I learned, and I pulled it out. And here is an interview I want to share with you to illustrate this idea of cultural barriers in getting to Jesus. Muhammad Ali said in this interview in December of 2001, he was asked, how do you feel about different religions? And here's what he said. Rivers, pools, lakes, streams, they have different names, but all contain water. Religions have different names, but all contain truth. Now, if that is true, then Jesus isn't one of those streams because Jesus made it very, very clear in the Word of God that He was God and that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No man, Jesus said, comes to the Father. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is either... The Son of God, or He is clearly a liar. I'm simply saying that to say that there's, there's only one road to God. Just like there's not many roads to hot springs. There, there's not many roads to heaven. In fact, Scripture teaches very clearly there are two roads, and one road is the broad road. And that road in Scripture is the road that leads to destruction. And then there is the narrow road. And that is the road that leads to eternal life. And this broad road has many streets, little streets that go off into many different ways and many different avenues. And, but it seems that all of them really come back to one thing, and that is this. Do your good works outweigh your bad works? That's the way it was for me. It was all about, in my early days of trying to find Christ and find eternal life and fill this void in my life, I was working so hard to make sure that every 30 days when I went to see the priest in the confessional booth, that my good works outweighed my bad works. And if they didn't, I was faithful to make sure to light a candle or to say my rosary or to do whatever I needed to do. The pressure that was on me was, was, uh, was very, very serious. But to me, it was worth it because I wanted to get there. And as a young lad, I wrestled with this thing. My good works outweighing my bad works. Ali, Ali went on to say in this interview, what does your faith mean to you? And Muhammad Ali said this, it means a ticket to heaven. One day we're all going to die and God's going to judge us. Our good deeds and our bad deeds. If the bad outweighs the good, you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad, you go to heaven. That message is the message that's on the broad road to destruction. Islam teaches that. Buddhism teaches that. Even some false Christian faiths. Teach that. He went on to elaborate. I'm thinking about the judgment day and how you treat people. 
Wherever you go, help somebody through charity because when you do, it's being recorded. He went on to say, I go to parties. I see good-looking girls. I see a girl I want to flirt with, which is a sin. So I light a match and I touch my finger. I, I say, ooh, hell hurts worse than this. Buy a box of matches and carry them with you. Put one on your finger and see how long you can hold it. Just imagine that's going to be hell. Hell's hotter and for eternity, Ali said. Well, there's some truth to that last statement. That's, that's pretty right. But the concept of what he is saying here is what every false religion teaches. And that is that your good works would outweigh your bad works. And that is exactly the opposite of what Jesus Christ teaches in Scripture. In Titus in chapter 3 and in verse number 5, the Word of God clearly says this, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, He has saved us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9, we're more familiar with this one, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, you can't have it both ways. Jesus is not going to be welcomed into a portfolio of world religions. He's not going to do that. He is the only way to heaven, and you're going to have to overcome some cultural barriers in our society to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I remember that. Specifically for me, I remember the moments that I was being presented the gospel as a 13-year-old boy and the, the extreme pressure that I was under in my own religion. To feel as if it was just, what is he talking about, this gift? It's just too easy. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I, I'm, I've got to work hard. I've got to get there. And it, it, it's just not that easy. And when I walked the aisle that, Sunday, that Friday, it was in a Christian school chapel service, kind of an old-fashioned testimony, one of those that you don't hear this as often. It seems as if the gospel is, is, is especially in a public setting, is, is not as received as it, as it was Years ago, and I remember I stepped out in front of everybody, walked the aisle, took the preacher by the hand in front of the Lord's Supper table, which at that time, kind of an old-fashioned Baptist church, it was up front. I remember, I could still see it, this do in remembrance of me. I remember that Lord's Supper table, I knelt there, I told the pastor that I, I was going to let go of my way and trust in the only way, which was Jesus Christ. I fell to my knees, the pastor of that church, Dr. Glenn Riggs, led me to Jesus Christ in front of all my peers in that chapel service, and I became a follower of Jesus Christ. The only way you can. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I had to overcome that barrier. And you know, I found now that I have been pursuing Jesus Christ after that decision to trust Him as my personal Savior, after becoming a Christian, I have found that I'm still overcoming cultural, religious, traditional barriers to follow Christ. It's amazing. You know, I used to think that the way to, to be successful was to have a, a big church and big numbers. And, and then I realized that if you follow Christ, oftentimes you're going to find that not everybody is really following Christ. They're following tradition like you were, like I was. And when I say you, I'm speaking about me. I mean, I remember some of the things that God was dealing with me about. And if I mentioned 
that, that maybe we should do this or, or God's kind of leading me to do that. I would have these conversations with friends and in my prayer closet and, and with other folks in our church and other churches and, and I was getting so much resistance to that. But I just knew that Jesus Christ was calling us to a, to a, a new horizon, to, to be a, a church that could reach the next generation. And, and, and so as a result of all of this, over a period of time, these barriers were very difficult to overcome and at times just to survive. But I can tell you, oh, listen, following Jesus is an amazing thing. And if you've come here this morning and you would embrace Jesus Christ yourself and know the forgiveness of sins and the assurance of eternal life, and I want to say the peace and the blessings that come from following Christ after you're saved, I want to tell you, you will have to overcome some barriers. You will. Just like these wise men did. Cultural barriers. Secondly, there's something else you're going to have to overcome that these wise men had to overcome, obviously. And secondly, it was a what I'm going to call this morning convenience barriers. Cultural barriers and then convenience barriers. First of all, notice they came just from the script of what we can know from a map, about 900 miles to Jerusalem. And you would have thought that probably when they got to that big city that this is surely where it's going to be, Jerusalem. This is where the action is going to take place. But the star didn't end there. It went five more miles south of Jerusalem to a little town of Bethlehem. And I love this because interestingly, hundreds of years before Christ was born, it was prophesied again in Micah chapter 5 in verse number 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. There, the birth of Christ was prophesied supernaturally hundreds of years before Christ was born. Over 900 miles, these guys came. They came on camel. That's not too convenient. They came on foot. They came through desert. It wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient. And I'm going to tell you, it's the same today. Many come to worship Christ only once or twice a year when it's convenient. You know, Christmas, maybe Easter. But you'll find this, that if you're casual, if you're indifferent about the Savior, you will never truly find him. This is not something to be casual about. This is not something to be indifferent about. Jesus is not selling you this narrative that it's just con- that when it's convenient, that's when when it's easy, when when there's no problems and no pressure, when it's when it's super easy, that's when you follow. No, no, he wants us to know just like the wise men that there is going to be, in following Christ, some difficult times and some cultural barriers and some convenience barriers that you have to face in following Christ. It's not always easy. In fact, we're given a stern warning in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10, beginning in verse 26. The stern warning begins with this, for if we go on sinning deliberately, follow this passage, after Receiving the knowledge of truth, there's no longer a sacrifice for sins. 
Everybody needs to understand, and I'm sure you do, that sin has to be paid for. There has to be a sacrifice for sin. And that, my friends, is the payment that Jesus made on the cross. That's the sacrifice. (laughs) That's what you and I have as a way to get to heaven. It's because Jesus paid it all. He died on the cross for our sins. But if we go on sinning deliberately after having received this truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses, referring back to the Old Testament. I mean, even, even those who set aside Moses' law died without mercy. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Tragically, that is what Muhammad Ali was saying. Trampling underfoot the Son of God. How much worse is that punishment? Again, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant? Which he was, by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Excuse Think me. of it. Excuse me, Here preacher. Is... Preacher, excuse me. I'm sorry to interrupt, but our small group has raised up some money. We, we are just so thankful for you. Scott, wait, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching. This is not a good time. I don't know what you're... Well, we just, we just want to give you a Christmas gift. Well, I, you know, I appreciate that, but Scott, this is just not we, a good time. We you raised, do know I'm preaching. Well, All these people came to hear a sermon. Well, we raised this money for you, preacher. We just well, wanted I'm not to... Inter- Listen, Scott, you've interrupted the service, okay? I'm sorry. Need, yeah. I don't want the gift, Scott. Well, okay? you always told me I could come I, I, look, to you. I, well, you said I could come to you any time. Scott, just go sit down. Don't you love Scott? <laughs> Scott, you did a great job. I really felt bad about that. (laughs) That was one of the hardest illustrations I've ever had to give. I hope you know that was an illustration. Can I tell you a funny story? This is a cute story. In the first service, I had my son Joe do it. And Scott sits in the back and kind of helps in the first service to make sure that... So when he, he didn't see Joe, he didn't see what was happening. So when he saw the service being interrupted by somebody, he jumped up and about ran forward. Then he saw Joe. <laughs> I think he was going to tackle Joe. And, you know, who knows what would happen, you know. <laughs> oh, Scott's great. The truth of the matter is what I just illustrated to you to see with your own eyes is what oftentimes happens when we turn away the gift of God which is eternal life. God sends his son to die for your sins. And somehow we want to find some other way. And when we do that, we insult the spirit of grace. We outrage the spirit of, hey, how did you feel? Think for just a moment. When I just ripped that gift out of his hands and he turns away, head bowed and walks away, you felt I mean, just for a moment, even if you knew it was an illustration, you felt probably how I felt. <laughs> and that is just, this, this isn't right. Why would, how could anybody do that? Happens every Sunday. Happens every week. Today is the day of salvation. And that's why I say, turn from your sin. Embrace Christ by faith. Accept this free gift. It's free. Oh, listen, if you reject that, you are 
outraging the spirit of grace. Maybe your translation says insulting the spirit of grace. I proclaim to you today the urgency of this decision. The urgency. Just as I sat years ago and felt the urgency of the decision to let go of my way and to trust in the only way, Jesus. They had to overcome cultural barriers and convenience barriers. And thirdly, and we will have to overcome this as well, criticism barriers. It's interesting. But many don't want Christ. And it was the same in the day of the wise men. Let me draw your attention to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. He was disturbed in his heart, is what that means. He was troubled, he was disturbed. And it it goes on to say that all Jerusalem was also troubled. Now who was Herod? Just a quick little review. Not going to take very long. Herod was a ruthless leader. Like, really ruthless. Like, extremely ruthless and wicked and godless. In fact, history records that Herod at one time in his rulership, when he was short on money, he executed 45 of the wealthiest citizens in the land, and he took their wealth, and he paid their estates, he sold them, and he paid the bills in his kingdom. In fact, anybody that disagreed with Herod, he executed them, including his wife, his three sons, and his mother-in-law. Disagree with Herod? Executed. This was a ruthless, wicked person. I say all that to say this. Follow me. So the wise men show up, right? We just read it. The wise men show up, and they're in the palace, and they're sitting in front of... The king's sitting on his throne. They're standing in front of the king who's sitting on his throne, and then they say... We are looking for the king. Herod looks at them and says very possibly, what do you mean you're looking for the king? You're looking at the king. Search no farther. Oh, no, no. No, sir, I'm sorry, but we're talking about a star that we've been following and we're looking for a king. Man, there's no question Herod was troubled by that. In fact, Scripture says in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16 that no doubt the wise men must have picked up on Herod's anger. Because it says then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. This is when Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus had to flee to Egypt. This was that moment when Herod executed Every male child, two years old and under, because of his anger. You know what I have found as a Christian? Here's the bottom line. You and I are going to need to overcome criticism barriers if we truly are to follow the king. Not everyone is going to be excited about your decisions to follow Jesus. You know, I found that out very quickly after I came to know Christ and called my family back home. I was raised in a, in a single-parent home. My parents were divorced at a very young age. And so when I called back to my family and let them know that I had become a Christian because it wasn't in the religion that I had been in, 
They were very critical and angry and frustrated and said, what have you done? This is wrong. You're forsaking our traditions. And for several weeks, they wouldn't even talk to me. It was even worse when I got called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ at the age of 15. And I called my mama, one of my most favorite people in all the world. Mama, guess what? I'm going to be a preacher. What? You're going to be poor all your life. What have you done? You're you're forsaking your family. You're not going to make anything of yourself. And I remember hanging up the phone and kind of like Scott did, kind of walking away with my head down and walking to my mother's room and saying, Mom, I thought they'd be happy. I thought they would be excited about these decisions I'm making to follow Christ. I found that sometimes even people close to you, they just don't understand that when you decide to follow Jesus and embrace Jesus Christ, some will not like it because they don't understand. They get angry. Even some people close to you, like family or friends. I remember, you know, when I was a young person, God was dealing with me about some, some of the music of my day that was just, it was, it was, it was just not, glorifying God at all, and, and not even neutral music. I'm, I'm sure it's a lot worse today. I don't, I don't know a lot about music except for what we sing here. But back then, I was dealing with it as a teenager, right? I remember getting in a car and, and like, kindly, just in a very nice way, asking my friend if he would turn the music down that the Lord had dealt with me about. It, and I just felt like I sh- it's just something I shouldn't listen to. And he told me, I'm not going to turn the music down. It's my car. And he, he just kicked me out of the car on Grand Avenue. Just kicked me out. In fact, I remember having to go to a payphone. It was 10 cents back then. I had to call my mom at a payphone to pick me up on the side of the road. I felt awful. I was so embarrassed. The next day, I went to my friend. I said, I'm so sorry. I should have said nothing. It was your car. You can listen to whatever you want in your car. I, I apologize. And he looked at me and said, no, I'm sorry. You were right. I apologize. You know, not everybody is going to like and appreciate and be for you as you make decisions to follow Christ. In fact, it seems as if the closer that Jesus Christ got to fulfilling the will of the Father on the cross, the less and less people that followed him. I'm just simply saying this. It's not going to be convenient. And it's going to require you to overcome some criticism. But I can assure you, and please listen, that I, I, I can say without any question what Jordan and the worship team sang as we opened up the service and everybody clapped at the end. Joy, unspeakable joy. I'm not, I've not arrived. I'm just 55 years old. I, I may die today and this will be my last sermon. And you could say, man, he went out talking about how great it was to be a Christian. I I may live another 10, 20, 30 years. I don't know. But I know this, that up to this point, if this is my last sermon, please know that I have no regrets. That following Jesus has been the greatest decision I've ever made. And overcoming cultural barriers and overcoming criticism barriers and other barriers in my life, I can say I have no regrets and I have joy, unspeakable joy for all that Jesus Christ has done for me. In spite of So I say to you today, if this is an eternal moment for you, why don't you today get off the broad road that leads to destruction and get on the narrow road that leads to life eternal? What a great decision that would be. 
In just a moment, we're going to pray and we'll stand and have a response time. And I just want you to know that Jesus Christ is today extending that gift to you. He's offering you the gift. Please, this morning, don't trample under your foot the Spirit of grace, the Son of God, the sacrifice, the only acceptable sacrifice for your sins. Say yes to Jesus. And if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you know that if you die and you go to heaven, that was settled a long time ago or a month ago or a year ago or when you were 13 years old like I was. And wherever you are on this journey, and I've really stressed this in this series, and I'm going to stress it again next week, sometimes we need to be refreshed. Sometimes our Christianity just gets a little bit apathetic. And we need to be reminded, you know what? If I'm really going to pursue Christ the way I know I should, the way he's leading me to, I'm going to to face some resistance and I just need to overcome that and continue to put him first in my life. Maybe that's you. Whatever seat you're sitting in, I trust that God would work and move and meet your needs right where you are. Let's pray, shall we? Father, God, I love you. I love you and I thank you for this opportunity to share Lord, this amazing passage of Scripture about these wise men who overcame these barriers and teach us a lesson today. It's no different today. Lord, sometimes it can be shocking at how the good news is received. God, it seems that everyone would be excited about this wonderful gift called Jesus. And the sacrifice for sins that is being offered. But yet, God, we find that so many are looking for other ways and going down other roads and streets to get to Jesus. And yet there's only one way. I pray, God, today that you would help us this morning to face, Lord, exactly where we're at in our lives and to do something about it. Lord, may we be willing today to take that narrow road whether it be a decision to trust you today as our Savior for the very first time, or whether it be to follow you and pursue you as a believer. God, we trust that you'd work in our lives and may the worship and this last response song and all of our remaining moments together point us to the glorious gift of God in Jesus Christ, the greatest gift. I love you. I love these people. And I pray that you would work in our midst for the next few moments. Please, Holy Spirit, move and work. We trust and pray that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?